Hello and welcome to episode 32 of the V-Suit Podcast, the audio-only virtualization podcast so powerful it could stop a North Korean missile. <laughs> We've got a very special guest on this episode, working his way up from humble end-user routes all the way to the DevOps elite within VMware, and stopping in for a beard-growing competition or two along the way at EMC. It's Nick Weaver. Hi, Nick. Hey, how's it going? Uh, not too bad. Yourself? I'm doing great, working hard, DevOpping. Um, so... Yeah, thanks. Thanks for coming on the show, Nick. Um, I guess you, you're a fairly fairly busy guy these days. Yes, sir. I've been um, I've been around the block a little bit lately with VMware and doing some fun stuff. Is it sort of fa- fairly different to the sort of stuff you were doing with EMC? Because yeah, that was a yeah, quite very, interesting, very, very different. Um, sort of, I suppose, a, a morphing careers because you know we saw that you'd always produced some quite in, really good uh, blog content and then joining MC and turning from just a regular V specialist into creating like all the demo content and then suddenly building your own VSAs of just about everything in the um, EMC product range. You know, I was personally quite looking forward to um, some form of data domain one when you've worked out how to write suddenly write data domain code for a, a virtual appliance. Um, so yeah, you know, it's it's quite a quite a, a, a fast rise to uh, to glory, so to speak. Actually, Nick, I remember sitting at EMC World, I want to say maybe 2010, watching your demo uh, for VPlex. Yeah. You know, it's, it's kind of a funny story, but um, I actually, up here in Dallas, uh, Pat Gelsinger came in a couple weeks ago and was walking through the office and, you know, just kind of, kind of boldly walked up and shook his hand and said hi again. And he uh, introduced myself and I said, you know, I, I mentioned the VPlex demo way back. And it's like, oh, yeah, I, you know, you remember who I was from that. Because that was his first keynote at EMC as an EMC executive. Oh, wow. Yeah, so it was, it's kind of, it's like, he, that was my first demo ever and his first keynote at the same time. And then he, he came to VMware and I joined basically um, within 30 days after Pat joined VMware. Okay, so yeah, he obviously wanted, wanted some uh, some good talent to go across. but I'm just following him around, which is not a bad follow <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Um, so, I mean, how did, how did it sort of go from you know just the the, the V specialist role, as I understand it, is sort of you know pretty heavy just general pre sales to this whole content creation, and now moving into the the, the DevOps side of actually you know delivering um, sort of unique IP uh, for now for VMware, but at the time for for EMC. You know, I. I it's a good question. I wish I know knew how that happened. I, I don't know if I um I've ever had any grand designs or grand plans. I tend to I tend to work my life one huge hairy problem at a time. And um, I've been very very lucky in that I've been surrounded by some very uh, smart people that have given me opportunities to shine and um, the time to do them. And so it's just been a matter of cracking you know some problem one time. And then doing it again, doing it again, and then you know, you if you if you make a habit of executing, then um, opportunities open for you. And um, but I, I can't speak enough to how many people have been a part of the things I've done. Whether it was in the B specialists, where you know so much help from you know guys like Chris Horn and Steven Spellacy, T and Simon Seagrave, and I mean it's just I could go on um, on and on and on about. V specialists. It was. It still is an amazing group of people, but just so many people that were just assist and helps and did great things. And I couldn't have done what I did without them being right alongside me or 
you know, a lot of times I got credit for stuff that was a group project too, where I shouldn't have. And then no. um, even even at EMC when I was working on the Razor project, you know, I, I did the Razor project with a great teammate um, named Tom McSweeney. We did that project together. We were co-creators of that. And Puppet Labs uh, assisted a bit towards the end in helping us do it also before we handed it over to him. And actually, Tom joined VMware this last month and now works with me on the team I'm on now, which is great because I get to work with him again. But I have been really, really blessed to have worked with uh, amazing teammates who um, feed my passion for technology and um, work with me to build stuff. And it hasn't been a solo effort by any means. Oh, fair enough. That's uh, it's very, well, it's a, a good platform to, to give, give people credit. Um, but you have actually mentioned the first of our bingo words for this uh, episode, which is puppet. Um, and you know there are there's so many sort of automation tools that seem to be going around. It almost reminds me of um, the, the the various uh, the meme that's uh, doing doing the circles of the uh, exhibit from Pimp My Ride. Um, and I actually tried to put one together today of uh, Yo Dog. I heard you like to automate your automation, so I put Puppet yeah. inside the Seth recipe so you can automate whilst you automate. Um, <laughs> Not only is that awesome, but I'm sure I could probably go online and find an example of that actually being done. <laughs> so, so where where, do, where does a you know av- average Joe six pack uh, admin who you know probably started out life as a Windows admin um, fell into doing some VMware is pretty confident with VMware can operate and maintain and design a virtual infrastructure. Where where do where do you even begin to start with this sort of plethora of tools? Some of which seem to be, uh, you know, GUI based. Of you know, you've got VMware's Orchestrator starting at uh, at one end of things, and then going up to these multi-system automation things. Which, on the face of it, you can write yourself out of a job because once you've written the tool to automate your your day-to-day work, then well, what do you do apart from write more automation tools? I guess. Um, so you know, where's a good place to start? Yeah, I, I, I actually disagree with that. I, I think there is. I actually do a, I do a keynote um, presentation when asked on automation, and a part of that is I address the fear of automation because I, in, in my keynote I talk about you know people think of automation as three different things. They think of it as I'm not sure you guys are Futurama fans, but they think of it like Bender from Futurama, right? The robot. So yep. he's he's designed to do a job, but does it poorly, and kind of does it. But you got to check his work, and you know, not exactly the most reliable individual in the world, right? You, if that's your that's your picture of automation that kind of does what it's supposed to, but you got to kind of babysit it. And then yep. there's the Terminator style of automation, where it's not only going to automate; it's going to replace you, it's going to kill you, it's going to chop you up into parts, right? The the, the evil robot style of automation, which is going to take my job and take my value. Come and, with me if you want to automate. Right, exactly. And then there's the third type of automation fear, which is the fear that it's 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 the um, it's the it's the oracle fear that this is all just marketing spin. Like the word automation is just a, a way of them relabeling something they bought ten years ago, right? And that automation is just the same thing. It's just a new label on it, like cloud or like you know, or even DevOps, right? I mean, you get these marketing um, labels on stuff and things that used to be. We're a um, we're a workflow system is now we're an automation engine, right? Yeah. And so people fear that they're just dealing with the same tech and it's not actually adding any any, um, any value to it. And, and really, honestly, none of that's true. What's really happening right now is not a single product, and DevOps itself is not a single product. What's happening is there's a realization that 
we're getting advanced enough with software that the hypervisors and the cloud controllers and the state machines that are able to control infrastructure, which is becoming more and more API-friendly from generic patterns. For example, um, many of the new switch manufacturers are coming out with APIs where you can use a REST API to completely configure your switches. Um, the, OV, the open switch um, the stuff has... Um, with like Sierra and uh, the Lighthouse stuff um, is it, changing so that our our network substrate can be managed by API and not only managed but scaled very easily, right? And you don't need large physical CPU plants to manage a router anymore. It distributes. And so what's changing is, is all of a sudden we're, we're realizing that software is going deeper in the data center but also visibility is crossing boundaries. And, and the problem is it, it doesn't make life easier. It actually makes more, life more complex. Um, because all of a sudden you've got thousands of APIs and all of a sudden you've got all kinds of changes and all these possibilities, but how do you do these possibilities? And classically, we've already solved this problem. We solved this problem with 5,000 line PowerShell scripts. <laughs> we solved yeah. this problem... Is PowerShell with, automation. Right, with gigantic Perl scripts, with awesome little Python scripts and with Ruby scripts and with... With that one little Java utility you wrote in, in your spare time on the weekend, right? We've been doing automation under the word scripting and under the, for, for years and years and years and years and years. And guess what didn't replace that person? Yes, true. Scripting. People didn't scripting lose just job. made I mean, them better at their job, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the fear of, of losing your job because of software tool X, um, I suppose it, it probably comes from if, if you look at. Uh, Manufacturing 20, 30 years ago, probably even a bit f further, uh, before manufacturing, production line automation really became important. And you had uh, people who did genuinely lose their jobs due to production, to you know the, the vast mechanization and automation of manufacturing. Um, and I suppose there must have been enough of those that retrained into IT, so they still have that same fear of their heads. Is this, is technology whilst technology provides them with a job, isn't going to provide them with a, um, a final paycheck at some point. Um, and I remember this many, many years ago, uh, in fact, my first or second job in IT, that the so team leader for our, our particular um, area was absolutely paranoid that our, the, the customer that we were sort of providing outsourced support for was deploying Tivoli. And you know, Tivoli package management and workflow, uh, the Tivoli automation stuff, uh, particularly their sort of uh, workload scheduler, I believe it was, um, was absolutely convinced that this is this was going to push him out of a job, and you know he'd be going back to being a bank manager, which is what his previous role was. Quite how you go from bank manager to night shift help desk, I'm not entirely sure, but uh, there you go. Um, so yeah, I guess it's not not a new fear by any means. I like to juxtapose it like this. So. Go back eight, nine, ten years ago, and you had a phys let's say you had a physical data center. Your company had a physical data center, and you had a couple thousand servers in it. And you had used to have to put a label on those servers saying what those servers were. So this server is um, prod A dash web 01, and this server is prod A dash web 02. And then the stuff would get reprovisioned and changed around, and all of a sudden you'd have to go do what? Somebody would have to go and swap the label of that server. And then yep. what happened? All of a sudden, this company called VMware came out with this really crazy technology that actually lets you virtualize all your servers. And then they added to that technology and created this thing called vMotion, which allowed you to actually move a server from one physical server to another one so you'd actually know where it was. And then it got even weirder. They implemented 
HANDRS, and it can actually move based on a failure or based on um, you know resource needs. And all of a yep. sudden, what happened to the need for the person to put labels on those servers? It disappeared. Now, was, was the person that based their value on putting labels on servers, was that a mistake probably in the long run? Should they have evolved? They did evolve. What did those guys end up doing? They ended up going and getting their VCP, didn't they? They ended up getting into VMware tech. And if you look at the guys that, uh, that moved into that quickly, they turned into the Scott Lowe's and the leaders we have in the VMware community. And we've had like Duncan and Scott and Frank and these guys. And, and what happens is it's not a matter of – and I understand the manufacturing line is a different aspect because that was a revolutionary change. But what happens is their new technology comes out and the people going to their current job – see that as the next level, and they learn about it and develop it. And, and really, truly, right now, for the virtualization administrator, for the network administrator, for the storage administrator, looking at automation and looking at truly cloud. I mean, automation is what enables cloud services, cloud-level services. Automation is the next step for each and every one of us. There's going to be a requirement. The Dropboxes, the Google Maps... There, the the um, Spotify's these apps are teaching people to expect service delivery faster. Cloud is teaching us to be more demanding than we've ever been, which means we have to be more agile than we've ever been in doing these things. And so the discipline that's coming out of this is that somebody that can deliver massive, complex services in an automated fashion quickly and version them and keep them stable. And what's going to drive that is things like DevOps. And DevOps is the acceptance of patterns like version control and unit testing with infrastructure. It's the acceptance of, of understanding that there's, there's a lot of common patterns in development and operations that need to merge in order to, to provide things like continuous delivery and stuff. And automation and DevOps are very intertwined because you cannot do automation correctly. And I'll state this as a fact. You can't do automation correctly without implementing at least some DevOps principles because it's too complex to do it. And a really good example is going back to the PowerShell script is, what is wrong with that 5,000-line PowerShell script? I mean, it's beautiful. It could do a thing that could take four to five days of work. You run this thing, and it's done. And when yeah. I was first created, that's a miracle. That's why PowerShell is so popular. That's why PowerCLI is so popular, is because it literally reduces the operational cost and allows people to do more with their time. It makes an individual, a technician, more powerful in their company and in the service they're helping deliver, right? And technology as a whole is just an enabler. We Technology provides no value other than enabling something, right? So I need maps on my phone, and technology gets me the maps. I don't really care. Uh, well, I care because I'm a technologist, but most people don't care about the technology that got the map to them. Um, medical services, they care about the blood pressure meter working, not what technology enabled it, right? Technology is the enabler, so we're, we're just trying to iterate and improve the technology so we can do more as a human being and as a species, right? And so the secret to those, the, that, that PowerShell script is it allowed that person to get more done, but the next level past that script is what the DevOps principles, it's what things like Puppet, and it's what patterns like that bring us. And the most important juxtapose I can give there is what happens, so if I run that big 5,000 line PowerScript one time and it does what I want it to, I'm happy with it. What if I run it a second time? What happens? <laughs> we don't, you don't know, right? Could it be yeah. bad? Yeah, it could be really, really bad. Could it just bomb out and fail? True. So if I run it and it doesn't do any damage because it, it's written not to do damage, but it still sends an error, is there really an error? Is that, a, is that an error any good to me? No, because it should have been a success. I didn't have to do anything. 
And this is where you start to see patterns like what Puppet does become really, really important. There's this phrase in you know cloud computing and distributed engineering, idempotent. And it means, it's a mathematical word, right? It means I can run this formula over and over and over and over again, and given the same scenario, I get the same results, which means a script, by nature, most of the ones that are written are not idempotent. You run that thing, it'll do one thing. You run it again, it may do something else. What Puppet brings is a framework, and Opscript brings this too, that provides idempotent behavior for what you run things. I want you to make something like this. And there's also the concept of what's called executable documentation, that I want to write up what I want this to look like. I want this size cluster, I want this many hosts, I want this, I want this, I want this, I want this. And you write out what you want, and then you say, Puppet, make it happen. And the first time Puppet runs, if there's anything not set up that way, let's, let's say none of it was set up, it'll build the whole thing suit to nuts. But then if you tell Puppet, run again, Puppet is able to go through and look and say, oh, it's exactly the way it's supposed to be, and it'll give you a success. Even though it didn't do a single thing, it'll tell you that it's successful because it's not successful because I made it through, like the script. The script is still considered successful if it makes it to the end. Puppet's successful because what you wanted is how things are. And that's the difference. <laughs> because it's result-orientated power. rather than task-orientated. Is that, is that right. a fair assumption? And you can run it over and over and over again. And the thing about distributed computing and scale-out cloud that's important is two things. Immutability, when you can have it, and item potence everywhere. If you can get those two things, it makes automation, immediately you adopt those patterns, and automation gets so much easier because you don't have to worry about stuff running after you set it up. Okay. You can move on to the next thing. That makes okay. sense. I was going to say, I've thought of, a, again, my tendency to oversimplify things. Um, if, I, if I wrote a script to help me get dressed, uh, to go out on a, a cold day, and part of that script was put a hat on. And so I, I run script, put a hat on, I put a hat on, and then I'm ready to go out. If I ran that script again, and if it was just this a script, you know, the PowerShell script, then I'd end up with two hats on, potentially. <laughs> uh, and hopefully whereas, it will tell you to put some underpants on, because you didn't mention that either. Yeah. <laughs> then I go to prison. But, um, you know, whereas Puppet would say, no, you've already got a hat on, brilliant, you're ready to go. Um, yes. And, 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 and even more detail than that is, what if you, let's say you did forget your underpants. Let's say you're fully dressed. you got pants on, but you got no boxers on underneath, right? Puppet would go, yo, you're not supposed to be wearing pants without boxers underneath, buddy. Go back in the house. And Unless you apply the, the commandos. The things you might not have thought about. So your script may assume, if I have pants on, I must have underwear on. Puppet, you can tell it. Check for pants. Pants should have underwear first, right? And that's important because in the cloud stack, when you start dealing with large, large stacks of stuff and complexities and nested dependencies, and you want to start doing things like versioning, right? So here's version one, here's version two, and compatibility and cycles, iterations, and continuous delivery, you need patterns that are stable and change at the very substrate. What I'm working with as a tool is just naturally stable, which means I don't have to worry about it. I can just worry about features. Basically, that's saying that I should have had Puppet when my kids were small. Puppet for people, that is. Puppet for people. I love that. That, that would have made sense. Right. If, no, if, it's good. It's good. I have to actually manage my kids in a predictable manner. Hmm. Yeah, I have that's, a large family. I could, use, I could use that myself. Yeah, exactly. That's evolution for you. So, so, so basically, basically uh, Puppet is, you, you do the same thing over and over again, and you get the same result, which right. is basically uh, the, uh, the uh, by definition, 
the contrary thing to insanity, which is doing right. the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. Right. Well, so, it's interesting because the thing about life is things change. You've got entropy and other things that affect, and people make mistakes. So being able to to write up how you I mean it's like the blueprint, right? To be able to, to be able to draw up a blueprint of what your you'd like your house to look like. And then have somebody whose job in life is to always make sure it looks like a blueprint. And so every 30 minutes, let's say the gutter falls off your house or a window pops out. And he goes by and goes, nope, there's supposed to be a window there. Puts the window back in place and puts the gutter back in place. That's a better pattern that I am depending on it looking like this for some downstream reasons, some downstream dependencies. And I can set this guy up and know that he's going to make sure it's going to look like that. And then there's a whole, there's a whole other scenario around here, a use case around when you've got something that's ensuring something's in a certain state – He's also tracking if it's not in a certain state. So all of a sudden you've got a historical record of every state it's ever been in and every time it's changed. So you want to audit when things have changed or audit what happened to cause things and correlation, um, post-mortems. Um, something, a tool that's constantly evaluating states, recording differences and changes is really powerful also. Okay, so that probably means that my wife already runs Puppet. <laughs> but that, that, that's a different story. Uh, yeah. And I, I'm not going into continuous delivery there, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> it get, get expensive pretty quick. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. So that, that's it, the interesting thing is is the actual uh, difference between scripting and and uh, automation there with 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 the actual uh, scene stuff there by by Chris. I, I can't imagine how. If, if green beam people were scripted, there's a lot of weird green stuff going on there. So, uh, <laughs> you know, um, it's the the thing is I like to talk about is, is is puppets awesome because it brings us a pattern. The important thing is is the next evolution requires people to recognize the evolving patterns and their value and start to dive into them. I also talk about the technology adoption cycle from a personal standpoint. There is always an evolution of technology, and there's always the first hint of something new coming out that is going to drastically change the way we do business, change the way we, we enable. And if you watch, you'll see certain people that got in early and learned and developed themselves and made the effort to understand, and they end up being the communicators for the rest that follow later. I love to use Scott Lowe as an example about this, and to use like Duncan as an example. Both of those guys, very early on, got into the VMware ground floor and got into this, got understanding it, and then learned to communicate to others about it. And now what do we look at those guys as? We look at them as leaders and thought leaders and technology leaders. Why? Because they, we know they have the ability to recognize cool tech. If you actually go to Scott Lowe's blog, you know what you're going to see on Scott Lowe's blog now is puppet code. Of course, he's also doing awesome like you know open switch stuff, and he's got all kinds of other cool stuff going on besides that. But it's obvious he recognizes the value there in that as well, and he's already playing with it, doing stuff, and making stuff work that's awesome and cool. But um, there's, there's always going to be a tier of people that are going to recognize that the net, their job is going to demand a new set of skills and jump into developing those skills early. And I think right now is a great time to start looking at automation as a core skill in what you're able to do. Okay, but, but how can uh, – I'm, I'm, I'm working as a consultant now. And so a, a lot of the stuff I do is basically uh, run around different client sites and do – Installs, upgrades um, on on vSphere, uh, of course, but uh, and doing that kind of thing. Uh, 
would it, in theory, be possible for me to create a puppet and racer setup that could I could reuse as a deployment tool at different client sites that I bring with me in a VM or whatever, connected to the uh, connected to the uh, the client's network, and just say I want this setup, which I've pre-prepared or whatever, and just make it happen, and then take couple with me and leave. Absolutely, and even better than that. Okay. As a consultant, you can start. You can really dive into Puppet and learn it, or, or lots of tools. You know, not just Puppet, but you can dive into as an example into Puppet, learn what it brings, and really get an idea of what the possibilities are with it. Talk to your clients about what needs they have, and pretty soon you're not just building, you know, servers and setting up clusters and doing virtualization work. You're also saying, hey, you, you have a need for setting up this. You have a problem with your web servers not staying up or services not starting. Let me show you how you can use Puppet. Let me set up a puppet master that will actually manage that for you. You'll be consulting on more than that. You'll be consulting on stack automation for them, right? Yeah. And you'll be consulting on, on practices, on ways to, to improve problems that are eating operational time for them. And the crazy thing is a lot of these companies like Opsco and Puppet offer massive amounts of training, and there's books and all kinds of stuff to get started. And, um, but, the, but it goes along not, not only just the core skill of what you're doing now, but it also brings you into new kinds of areas and new conversations maybe that they've never even heard of before. Yeah, I actually had a client uh, talk to me about Puppet, Racer, and DevOps yesterday, and they specifically mentioned you, actually. So that's kind of funny. Uh, and I, I actually mentioned we were talking to you today. So that's uh, it's kind of kind of interesting that uh, you randomly popped up in a conversation we had with a client locally in Bergen, Norway. Just that's so you kind know. of goofy. I mean, I feel, it makes me feel a little weird that somebody would mention me in Norway because <laughs> I should not be that famous. I'm, I'm just a nerd, but... Um, Scott Lowe should be that famous. Me, I'm I'm just a, a code monkey. Yeah, well, so, someone saw your presentations on on Razor, uh, the puppet stuff, and, and asked me about it. So the good news on, on Razor is, so we're talking about Razor in a second, puppet is really really making some great progress on that, and um, they've been managing it now for a year in lots of sophisticated updates, lots of good features. The coolest thing is is I have heard about some pretty amazing Razor setups that are like really powerful, and I really think that um, we're just at the tip of the spear about compute management, and hopefully, my my hope is that there's there's something else that'll come out, you know, maybe the next year or so that'll even make Razor look pale in comparison, right? I think I think Razor was a unique idea just to break some ice on look, it's not that hard to do this, but I think I think there's I mean seriously, I believe there's more we can do. I believe there's even another level after Razor which is even more powerful with compute. I think we can. I think compute management should be so simple. It's almost just just an afterthought. And I don't. I'm not hinting at anything. I'm just saying, I I am I. I have a firm belief we can go even farther with that. Yeah, if that's the case, we need to do something about uh, the storage side of things. We need to do networking is is, is uh, being worked on uh, as I guess and uh, as I gather and and, and try to understand the last episode we had. I don't I don't think I did, but that's another different story. But uh, a store, we need to get the storage stuff into the same kind of uh, API model, and we'll basically end up as some sort of developers, all of us, in the end, I guess. Yeah, and these, these, are, these are things that are dear to my heart. So, you know, my current role at VMware is I'm part of the, I am the cloud automation architects for the uh, cloud hybrid services, and so my role in life is 
stack automation with stuff that runs VMware. So compute, storage, networking, these are things that, I mean, right now I'm tasked with finding ways to fully automate like Razor does. Now, I kind of cheat because, you know, I have Razor already, but still, um, the, 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 the issue of storage is very near and dear to my heart. And I know EMC has been making great progress on that, and there's some other great stuff out there going on, um, and there's some software stacks that are really developing around that. But I think, I think you're right. I think the next, the, really the next big thing is going to be the Razor for storage. Okay. It does seem to me that it's all about an API. If if whatever part of the stack that you are trying to plug into these systems doesn't have an API, then it's going to get left out of that stack. Absolutely, one hundred percent agree. Um, and I get is is there is there any way around it? I mean, back back in the in days days of uh, yonder, you know, you could uh, almost. Uh, you could lower yourself to the sort of screen scraping applications and, and macros, and there were there were ways nasty and kludgy of having to of forcing systems to integrate integrate whether they didn't want to or not. Um, is is there still anything like that that will um, you know brute force itself uh, into into an application uh, to to try and uh, help automate it? When the the only example that springs to mind was. There was a VMware fling. Was it Projects Onyx, the one that would basically capture information between the VI client and uh, vCenter and turn it into a PowerShell script? Yeah, yeah I never played with that one. That sounds yeah, awesome. I, I believe it, it was very clever. Um, it, it wasn't pretty. The, the, the code it wrote was kind of nasty, and you could only really use it to capture a specific uh, action. Uh, but if you needed to be able to script that action, there wasn't currently a command for it. I believe it was possible. You know, the thing is, if you want predictable results, you don't want to do application or screen scraping in that way because that then you 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 aren't guaranteed that the uh, the input you get is the same each and every time. Yeah, and you could end up going out the house without any pants on and two hats. Yeah, <laughs> that's never good. Yeah, you know, it, it, the API thing. You know, mentioning about storage APIs and stuff is we're at a level of sophistication now where you're not going to meet automation needs. Without an API, flat out. I mean, if you're if you're a technology company right now and you're not developing or you haven't developed an API that is strong, robust, it doesn't have to be super complex or super detailed even, but it's got to be stable and reliable and something people can bet on. Um, that's the kind of stuff that eventually is going to be used in the newer DevOps and highly automated cloud stacks because it's going to be the only thing that works for it. You know. And that's why you see Cisco working on the 1PK stuff. That's why you see Juniper doing stuff with Puppet. That's why you see um, why you see um, VMware going with NYSERA with open software stacks. That's why you see um, you hear talk of EMC with API stuff they're developing. You see stuff with NetApp and their API updates. They're actually very aggressive with their PowerShell stuff. And um, and that's also why you see startups like SolidFire and like some of these storage startups which have nothing but an API. Um, and it's interesting where, where this is going to go when, when your tool is something like Puppet, and the most important thing to you is no longer the, that big you know, Adobe Flex console, but that, the thing that's most important to you is how you can get your Puppet code to use it. That's when, the, that's when things are going to change for people. Right. So it's the death of the GUI, uh, as we know it, potentially. Uh, Maybe. We'll see. But uh, yeah, some some interesting things, and 
yeah, well, thank you very much for, for coming on and uh, hopefully setting, setting a few records straight about Puppet. I, I at least now know that it's, it's all to do with the number of hats I put on before I go out. That's exactly it. I'm going to totally steal that idea, too. <laughs> yeah. So let's wrap up for today, uh, VSoup32 with Nick Weaver. Thanks a lot for being on, Nick. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, no worries. And uh, next time around, maybe we'll be looking at a storage startup show. And as usual, you can catch us on uh, Stitcher, iTunes, or vsoup.net. Thanks a lot for listening, guys.